a lot of things that you go through where you feel like, well, this is my problem and no one else is going to relate to it. So I would probably go back and tell my younger self that that is not true. You should talk about this more and there are people who will listen. Hey, this is Mike Ambassador Bruni and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of No More Reasonable Doubt, a show focused on empowering young professionals of color who are just starting their career. We help to remove doubt, gain confidence, and have more impact at work. One important piece to making all this happen is getting exposure to different people and career paths. Today, our special guest is Me Kim Dang, founder and CEO at Me Kim Dang Productions. Welcome, Me Kim. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is a really exciting experience and community, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. Thank you so much for thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited for a number of reasons. You know, the first question we usually ask is about where you're originally from. But, you know, checking out some stuff online, I want to know about CrossFit because, <laughs> you know, that's important to me. It's important to you personally because you're familiar with it or because you are interested in the idea of it as a community? Because I am a CrossFitter. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and I am coming up on one year at the time of this recording and community is such a big part of it uh learning is such a big part of it and you know how i how i see it as relevant is is that community aspect but also the thought of going into something like a career and being at a certain level and where you start doesn't necessarily dictate where you're going to finish yes you know, and so I'm curious about how you're, how long you've been CrossFitting and what your experience has been with CrossFit. Sure. So I had started about four years ago. Um, I have to say that I got very, very into it like most people do. Um, and I actually competed for a little while and then I got totally burnt out <laughs> and then I stopped. So it's been about a year since I have not been doing it. Um, but I still am very involved with the community. And in fact, one of my biggest clients for my company is actually the sort of spin-off slash competitor to CrossFit, which is called Grid. So I'm based at Boston currently, and we've been producing a sort of inside, behind-the-scenes look documentary on the Boston-based team. So I've spent probably 75% of my time this year uh, on that project and still staying very close to it. So that is the long answer to your question of how long and how close. <laughs> <laughs> now, competitor, what 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 is um, talk to me about? Is it is is it grid? Uh, so what did I do personally? No, talk to me about uh, is it grid or grit with a T? Oh, grid, G R I D. Okay, grid. Um, similarities, differences between CrossFit. Sure. So uh, grid is basically, it's a team-based sport, um, and men and women compete together at the same time, literally on a physical grid. Um, So the movements are uh, very similar. There's a lot of crossover, but then there are a lot of new movements, and everything is based on speed, uh, speed and strength. So it's just like CrossFit, explaining it to someone who doesn't really know what the sport looks like. The best thing I can say is, you know, go check it out and watch a, a grid match because that's the best way for you to really absorb how it works because it's actually very complicated and very, very quick. Excellent. Excellent. Now, where are you originally from? So uh, my, I guess, ethnic background would be uh, Vietnamese. Both my mom and dad migrated here uh, right after the, the war in Vietnam. 
both to New York, so I am of Vietnamese ethnicity, but uh, definitely consider myself an American. I was born in New York, and uh, I pretty much am an East Coast person at heart, but I've lived all over the tri-state area. Moved from when I was six till I was 18 uh, to a different house, a different place, a different apartment every year because my dad was a contractor who flipped houses. Okay. Now, so a lot. York, well, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what part of New York are you um, from? Uh, Maspeth, Queens. Okay, excellent. Cool. I'm a Brooklyn guy. Awesome. So, now, tell us more about what you do for work and what a, I have to put air quotes, day-to-day -day is like, because we have you as founder and CEO, which doesn't tell us much. Right. Um, so, officially, it's really only been, my formal background is in film production, and I had been doing that for other companies and in-house um, at documentary houses, startups, a lot of technology companies for the last seven, eight years. And I was freelancing on the side, always sort of building my own base, my own portfolio, learning as much as I possibly could outside, you know, every waking moment in the working place. And so it's been officially a year that I've branched out on my own and I've been running my own full stack video production company doing uh, very similar work that I was doing for other people, but now I'm doing it for myself. So day to day, that changes a lot. <laughs> it changes um, project by project. And I'm working on anywhere from six to 10 projects a month, um, sometimes more depending on the week. So it varies all the time. Now, is that <clears throat> six to 10 projects? Is that they're all at different stages. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the the management of six to ten projects in a month. Is it like oh, is it like I'm going to go from start to finish with one, then go to the next? So I don't think it's as clean cut as that. That's a great point. Um, sometimes I'll be in pre production for you know a week or two at a time while I'm actually in production with another project, and then moving into post production with another. Right. So I've been better about managing that time so that things aren't happening all at once, so that there is some space. But it definitely um, can be a struggle, especially when you're a small team. Um, I work with you know only two or three other freelancers that I hire when I have the resources and the budget. Um, but for the most part, I'm doing everything. Um, and anyone who's familiar with production knows there's a lot of different pieces to it um, in those respective phases. So uh, for me, some of the biggest challenges is changing hats, I suppose, from being the person who is essentially doing biz dev, having those first initial meetings, coming up with the creative concepts, uh, hand-holding with clients, working through ideas with them. And then I'm the one who's actually on the ground shooting doing the production and then post-production is an entirely different thing as well. Right. So there's a lot of context switching happening. Excellent. Now you mentioned, um, film production is what you studied. Where'd you go to school and what did you study? I went to Emerson college, uh, which is what brought me to Boston and I studied film. So I consider myself to be very, very lucky to be doing what I set out to do. Oh, uh, that goes right into our next questions. Are, are you doing what you thought you'd be doing after college? So yes, but sort of on an unexpected path. Um, so I studied film, not video. So there was a pretty big learning curve uh, when digital itself started to really become its own thing, right? Mm -hmm. So that was around 
2008-9, YouTube, Vimeo, those platforms were all started, all starting out to be things that, you know, everyday people could grasp. And I was really interested in it at the time. I was working at PBS on a um, documentary show just as a production assistant office manager, you know, first job out of school when you study film kind of thing. And I had heard about what people were doing on these platforms, and I was really, really interested because the idea of being able to just make your own stuff and put it out on your own without anybody else and not having to spend a ton of money just seemed like the future to me. So I took a leap and kind of went headfirst into learning as much about digital production as I could. What was your path from uh, after college to what you're currently doing for work? Uh, I know you mentioned some of it, but just connecting the dots for the people, you know, there may be someone who's sitting out there going, hey, I am just in film or in video and I'm very curious to or they're interested in getting where you are. What, what, is, what did that path look like? Sure. So uh, this is an interesting question now because I think a lot of people, film and video makers specifically say, oh, you know, if you wanted to start out doing this now, would you have gone to college and spent all that time and spent all that money? And my answer is absolutely yes, because it was more about the people and the experiences that I met while I was studying, you know, the, the craft of film and learning how it all worked. And I think in the entertainment industry, people sort of understand that there's this idea of, you know, maybe any any vertical you could say this about, but starting somewhere and working up that ladder, right? So most people in production start out as assistants or, you know, PAs, and that's what I did. And I still think that that's really, really valuable for anybody who wants to pursue this kind of work because that's where you learn the most. Uh, you get your ego beaten to a pulp, but rightly so. <laughs> and <laughs> you just you get exposed to a lot of different areas, which I think is the most important thing for a complex medium like film. And you really have to build up your tolerance for knowing that you have so much to learn and that things are always changing. And I think, you know, I would say I, I started out at a very big traditional um, place, you know, PBS. It's a, it's a behemoth. It has a lot of history. People who work there tend to pretty much stay there, right, for their entire careers. And it was only because I was maybe crazy or... I don't know what it was, but something told me that I had to go follow this new emerging trend because I really believe that it would change the way that people tell stories and consume content. And so I think being attuned to those kinds of things in your industry will help guide you into making those bigger decisions. But after you've put in the work, I think it's really valuable to work for someone else before you can work for yourself. Oh, excellent. Well, that goes right into our next question about what advice would you give to someone who aspires to do what you do and they're just starting out? Yep, absolutely. I mean, again, today, the great thing about the internet and filmmaking now, because everything is so accessible, I still don't know how to do certain things. And what do I do? I go online, I talk to people, I watch tutorials, and I figure it out. So I think having this mentality of I'm always willing to open myself to new ideas and new experiences is number one. And number two, back to the thing I said about not having an ego about your creative work and always being open to learning from other people. Um, for someone who is just starting out, again, I think it's so, so important to work for someone else, with someone else, on someone else's project. I really believe in the value of doing that before you can really get to know your own creative self 
And the more that you have that experience and the more you can kind of carve out time for yourself outside of that primary experience you're focusing on, that's exactly what I did. I mean, it took me, like I said, eight years to get where I am. And I, I did a lot for other people before making that jump. So I think it's a, it's a fine line with creative people and accessibility today because I think everyone kind of feels like, oh, I can just, you know, I can do that. But I, I think there's something to be said about making sure you understand that it's also a very collaborative and community-based craft and you should never sit sit too high on your own horse, if, if that makes sense. Yes. Now the, <clears throat> excuse me, now the ego part of it, like um, almost keeping ego in check, is that the same thing as accepting feedback on your work? Are those two <laughs> different things we're talking about? I think they can be the same, but I, I generally think that they're different concepts because sometimes the work that you're doing, like I said, perhaps early in your career, isn't actually your work, right? You may be working on someone else's film, someone else's idea. And so in that situation, it's very important that you understand what your role is on that team but also feel like you can have a voice and opinion that can be heard. It's a very sort of fine line that I've not, I've been in situations where it just, you know, blows up in my face and doesn't work out that way at all. But uh, accepting feedback in your work, your own work creatively, or when you're collaborating with someone else, like it's your idea, your vision, your project, that also your ego comes into play there because you have to be able to let go of the control and step back and say, okay, I probably chose to work with this group of people or this partner for a reason. So for them to give me feedback, it's a valuable interaction. You know, whether or not I like it, I have to, I should listen to it. So I think there's always sort of this battle that creative people go through with, you know, managing their egos in any of those situations. When did, um, <clears throat> when did you decide that you were creative? Or... or uh... Now, this isn't a scripted question. It's just one that you brought to me when the word creative came up. And I'm curious, were you always open to your creativity? So I mentioned before growing up, um, I was an only child until I was 14 and I moved around a lot. So I, I just I spent a lot of time by myself. Um, and so I think out of that, I kind of just had to get creative <laughs> with how I spent my time and you know, my imagination and paper and pen, and those were all the sort of places where things started for me. Books, movies, like, again, these are all things that were just very natural and gravitated towards me. But I don't think I ever sort of labeled myself as, you know, a creative mind until other people did. So uh, it was just sort of something that I did because I felt uh, the need to or compelled to. So it wasn't, you know, the other way around, I suppose. Okay. What do you wish you were told when you started? So that zero to three time period uh, of your career. I think that it's it's hard for me to say that in retrospect because things have changed so much mm -hmm. from when I started to, you know, what the landscape is like now. Uh, but I, I do wish... Uh, maybe people, you know, exactly what you're doing with this show, right, is that there were other people out there available to me that I could talk to, that it was okay to be vulnerable about the things that I was going through instead of feeling like, 
okay, this is happening to me and I just have to experience it and just, you know, take it all in by myself. So perhaps knowing that there are active communities and other people trying to build their own visions, their own stories and their own careers, just even knowing that exists, I think would have been much more valuable for me because I struggled with that a lot because like you said, you know, being a minority or a person of color or just being young, right, in an industry that has uh, a lot of its procedures kind of set in its ways. Um, there's a lot of, uh, even being female, right, and I'm actually struggling with that a lot lately, but um, a lot of things that you go through where you feel like, well, this is my problem and no one else is going to relate to it. So I would probably go back and tell my younger self that that is not true. You should talk about this more and there are people who will listen. <laughs> Thank you. That's going to be very important for the audience, you know, to hear. We do we do often feel as if our our problems are so unique. Uh, Lord knows I do, uh, <laughs> or or, or, I, or you know I, I slash we may feel that <clears throat> putting out our problems make us look weak. Right. Um, when I've actually found, man, the time when I find the courage to go. Listen, this is what's killing me. It's the time <laughs> when people are actually drawn closer to me. They're like, he's human. Right. <laughs> he's exactly. human. You know? So so that's that's very good. What is the unspoken wisdom you've discovered in your career field? Something that time, only time could have taught you this. So this is a very good question that I've actually been thinking about a lot um, as I sort of move into this next phase of my career and uh, the range of people breaking into the industry is, is varied now in terms of age and experience. And I think, you know, now uh, a lot of our culture is around ideas of instant gratification and overnight success. And I think, you know, my story uh, specifically when I meet younger people who are just starting out, they think like, oh, you just got there, right? Again, they don't really see that this took, you know, a little bit of work and uh, a, quite a few years of struggle. And again, being under other people's watch and thumb and the unspoken wisdom, I would say, is knowing that these things definitely take time and that if it's this is what you really want to do, that has to be what you dedicate yourself to. You know, no matter what happens, the ups, the downs, be prepared for them and accept them because they're inevitable. And this is what, you know, you're committing yourself to. So you have to take it all in as part of that process. And you can't be motivated by by the money or the fame or what social pressures. Like, again, if you really feel like this is your calling and this is what you want to build your life and career out of, then you do it for that reason alone. If you had to recommend one book for someone just starting their career, what would it be? There is a book that literally changed my life, and I probably read it too late in my life, but it's never too late to start, really. Uh, it's called Essentialism uh, by Greg McCowan, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. And it uh, it's a relatively quick read, but it is so pivotal in changing the way that I thought about my work, my life, uh, my personal relationships. And it's something that I try to continue to guide my life by, um, you know, from the day that I've read it. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Now, where can the people find you and your work online? So I am 
online. I have my own website. It's just my name. <laughs> it's mekimdang.com. Um, but I'm on Twitter and Vimeo and all the other social platforms and sites. But yeah, I have a pretty unique name. So if you look it up, it, it takes up a lot of uh, online real estate. And we better let the people know how that spell so <laughs> they don't uh, make the same mistake yep, I made. You did. Yeah, sorry. So it's uh, my name is pronounced me, Kim, but it's actually spelled my Kim. So it's M-Y-K-I-M-D-A-N-G dot com. Excellent. Well, me, Kim, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom with my audience. Thank you so much for having me. And I really hope that, you know, whoever's out there listening was able to get something from our conversation. Oh, I know they will. Today's show was sponsored by Meet Edgar. Quick question for you. If you post a tweet about something you think is important and no one sees it, did it have an impact? You're spending time writing, uploading, and scheduling updates, and they usually don't even get seen by most of your followers. Meet Edgar is the only scheduler that directly addresses that and stops your updates from going to waste by automatically saving and sharing them again and again over time. Because you're spending way less time on busy work, you can dedicate more of your time to creating dope content and actually interacting with your followers. They call it social media for a reason. Visit meetedgar.com to learn more and start your free 14-day trial today. Thank you, dear listener, for being with us. Did you find today's message valuable? Love the show? Subscribe at bit.ly forward slash NMRD support, all lowercase. You'll get podcast episodes, updates, and articles sent directly to your inbox. If you sign up right now, you'll get a free 10-part email series called The 10 Career Commandments. Now, everything we create, everything we share, is designed to empower young professionals of color like you. Go ahead and move forward. We got your back. Tired of going at this alone? Request access to our Facebook group by visiting bit.ly forward slash fbgroup underscore NMRD. NMRD stands for No More Reasonable Doubt. As always, our goal is to take you from invisible to invincible. I'm your host, Mike Ambassador Bruni, and the dope beat you're about to hear to close out the show is by Papa Doc. Peace. <laughs>